Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Today is Monday, April 27th, 2020. On this day in 1945, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini was arrested in northern Italy. It was the beginning of the end for the longest ruling fascist of the World War II era. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the Italian rebels who blockaded the northern route out of Italy as the country fell to Allied forces, and in the process, captured Italian dictator and war criminal Benito Mussolini. Let's go back to the morning of April 27, 1945. Urbano hugged his coat tightly around his body as he watched the morning sun crest over the horizon. He was grateful to see its arrival. Late April had a way of tricking you into forgetting that it wasn't summer yet. Next, he needed some coffee, then to the command tent. Urbano was a member of the Italian resistance, but that meant different things to different people. They were a mismatched band of communists, socialists, and former fascists, all trying to ensure that Italy returned to peace. Urbano personally didn't care what form the government in Italy took after the war. He just wanted this all to be over. It was then that one of the volunteers ran up to the tent. A German convoy was heading up the road. No weapons, as far as they could see, but lots of soldiers. Urbano sighed and rubbed his brow. He wanted to keep a battle from breaking out in the village. This would have to be handled delicately. Pierre Bellini delle Stelle was awoken from his slumber by a harsh knock at his door. The cold nipped at him as he threw off his blanket. Worry gripped his heart as he wondered what might warrant this intrusion. It was Urbano, his second in command among the Italian rebels, with news. Germans, sir. Dozens of trucks coming up the road to Dongo. Now it was Pierre's turn to sigh, but he knew the men looked to him for action. He gave his order. Stop them, block the road, and take full stock of who and what they're trying to get across the border. As Urbano scrambled to carry out his commands, Pierre looked for his pants. Later that morning, Pierre arrived on the scene to find that his men had not been exaggerating. The convoy was large, with dozens of trucks, as well as civilian coaches. No one was shooting, yet. That was a good start. 
Walking up from the lead truck with Urbano was a German officer, his long coat and stately hat failing to hide the fact that he was tired and scared. Urbano introduced him as a former member of the Luftwaffe named Schallmeier. Schallmeier immediately started in, speaking with a heavy accent. He claimed that they meant the Italians no harm. They were simply trying to return to their home country so that they might protect it from the Americans, French, and Russians. Pierre smirked, wondering why he should allow such a thing to pass. Schallmeier said, My government has come to an agreement with your government. Pierre pretended not to be given pause by this. It was possible that the insurgents in Milan or Rome had decided to let them pass, maybe to avoid any bloodshed. But right now, in the north, it was anarchy. There were half a dozen different political parties one might swear allegiance to. Authority depended on who you were speaking with. Pierre decided to stick to his guns. His authority was all that could be counted on right now, and he wasn't about to let the Germans escape north if they had any damned fascists with them. For Italy to heal, the fascists needed to be held accountable. So Pierre lied, saying, Well, I have orders to keep anyone from passing, but I might be willing to let you go if you let us search your convoy. As the two began to argue, Urbano, more curious by the minute, wandered off to start checking in on the trucks himself. No one was going to fuss over just one man peeking his head in here and there. The German trucks were loaded with anti-aircraft and machine guns, pistols too. He clenched his jaw. This could get ugly fast if Pierre didn't let them through. At the sound of someone whistling, Urbano looked back and saw Pierre motioning for him to lead the men in a search of the convoy. The German leader had acquiesced, no doubt realizing he'd be the first to die in a firefight. The Italian partisans began moving from car to car, asking to see identification from each German soldier. The morning stretched into the afternoon. As Urbano began to near the point in the convoy where the trucks ended and the civilian cars began, he heard an excited yell from one of his men further down the line. We've got the big bastard, the man exclaimed. Urbano scrunched his face in amusement, unclear on what the man meant. When he neared the truck in question, he looked inside to see a few soldiers, looking nervous, and one slumped over beneath a blanket. Urbano pointed to the man and asked, what's wrong with him? Anxiously, they tried to get Urbano to back off, saying, he's just drunk, he's just drunk. Urbano rolled his eyes and asked if the man had his papers, but they just kept repeating the same thing. Growing frustrated after a full day of investigating trucks, Urbano pushed forward and reached for the blanket covering the drunk man. As he ripped it off, his mouth dropped open in shock. There, laying on his side, machine gun tucked between his legs, was none other than Benito Mussolini himself. Next, we'll discuss the fallout from the arrest. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including Headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. When Benito Mussolini was captured on April 27, 1945, the Italian partisans could hardly believe their luck. Northern Italy was in chaos. To run into none other than Il Duce himself was like finding a needle in a haystack. Mussolini had been defeated long before this. He was betrayed by his own fascist government in July 1943, and shortly thereafter was installed as a puppet dictator in northern Italy by Adolf Hitler himself. All he could do throughout 1944 and early 1945 was give impassioned speeches and hope that the Germans didn't lose the war. But he was a coward and hypocrite, And while he was arguing for the merits of fascism, he was secretly sending emissaries to negotiate his surrender with the Americans, too. He was also in constant pain, plagued by stress-induced ulcers that, according to him, would cripple an ox. And no wonder, he knew a reckoning was coming. Over the course of his rule, he had imprisoned and killed thousands of political opponents. He had chosen to enter the war and ally with Hitler. He had turned Italy into little more than a vassal to the Nazis. And he had agreed to deport thousands of Italian Jews to concentration camps. By April 1945, the consequences of these actions had sunk in. He seemed completely resigned to his fate. Those who were around him said there was little left of the fiery orator who had talked his way into power. According to the biography Mussolini by R.J.B. Bosworth, most believed that Mussolini was suffering from a severe depression that verged on mental breakdown. It was perhaps for this reason that he didn't make any plans for escape from Italy. On April 25th, He met with members of the Socialist Party to discuss a potential surrender, but nothing came of it. By the next day, it seemed that his only other option was to try and flee north with the remaining Nazis in his vicinity. He rather callously left his wife and children behind while inviting his mistress Clareda and her brother Marcello to flee with him. It's unclear exactly how this decision came about, Though, to be fair, it may have been the result of the two women's differing points of view. Mussolini's wife, Raquel, had always had a sharp political mind and had helped her husband throughout his career. She may have known that the smarter move was to wait in the fascist-friendly territory until the Allies arrived and took them into military custody. Clareda, meanwhile, had no such instincts and merely wanted to be with her man, 
collapsing axis or no. Mussolini's disguise was minimal, with a large German overcoat wrapped around his body and a metal German helmet on his head. The great irony was that no matter what he wore, he would surely be recognized. He'd spent much of his rule plastering his visage all over Italy. The trucks made it within miles of the border, but were stopped at Lake Como, north of Milan. Mussolini's anxiety must have been tremendous as he waited to see if he would be discovered. It was a process that took hours as every truck was searched. The convoy was even moved at one point further into the village so that both armies would be less exposed to angry third parties. But of course, eventually Mussolini was recognized. He tried to hide beneath a blanket, but once found, he put up no resistance. In fact, according to World War II scholar John Toland, it was Mussolini who admitted that Clareda was part of the convoy. Up until that point, she'd successfully disguised herself as a Spanish refugee. The next day, both were executed by firing squad. Their bodies were hung in a square in Milan, beaten and spat on. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed this story, check out our Dictators episode covering Mussolini's rise and fall. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.